where's the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skill team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. This is a Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker and Smallman minus Danny Mac today. We're on 101 ESPN at 701. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially Rolex jeweler, and Michelle, as you might expect. Dan worked two games yesterday, did a doubleheader, so he's kind of worn out, not able to make it in on this Thursday morning. Dan is a gamer. Dan works more than anyone I know. Even if the game goes into extras, he's always here on Thursdays and Fridays, no matter how short the turnaround. But that's asking a lot after a doubleheader to then ask him to also get up early and do the show with us. So we missed Dan today, but I completely understand and hope that he gets some well-deserved rest. Yeah, good uh, day of rest for Danny. So it'll be Randy and Michelle today and tomorrow. But we've got quite a show coming up for you. Greg Amzinger at the bottom of this hour, our friend from MLB Network. Uh, the head coach of your St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube. Chief will join us at 8.30 to talk, talk about the Colton Pareko extension that the Cardinals gave him yesterday. Kind of surprised me that that happened. Jeremy Rutherford will also talk Blues at 8.45 and Mizzou will open their season in Central Michigan, Michelle. The Anthony Stalter's Central Michigan Chippewas. That's right. Fire up chips. Yeah, Mizzou and Central Michigan on Saturday at Furrow Field. And Case Cook, the Tigers' right guard, will join us coming up at 9.15. So quite a show coming your way. Looking forward to it. And where do you want to go, Randy? We have Cardinals to break down. We have the Colton Pareko news to get into. A lot happening in St. Louis sports yesterday. And heck, for most of yesterday, we were so fired up about the Cardinals. We talked about <laughs> them all morning yesterday about how uh, we, we just couldn't quit them. And we, Can't quit them. We, we couldn't. And after the opener, it was the same way. First inning, the Cardinals grabbed the lead courtesy of the guy who's become their best slugger. And Goldie lifts it in the air out to center. Naquin back. one nothing on a bomb. An absolute bomb by Goldie. one nothing Cardinals. He picks up right where he left off in the month of August. Home run number 23. And he wasn't finished after Harrison Bader hit a home run to make it 2 nothing. The Reds started coming back. Tucker Barnhart with an RBI hit. Wade Miley, their pitcher, with a double that scored a couple to make it 3-2 Reds. Edmundo Sosa with a third inning sacrifice fly. It's 3-3. The Reds take the lead again. 4-3 in the third inning, but in the fourth with Tommy Edmund aboard. And Goldie lifts a high fly ball into right center. He's done it again. Oh, my. Into right center. His second home run in this game. He's up to 24. And the Cardinals are back on top. 5-4 St. Louis. Paul Goldschmidt has been unbelievable for the Cardinals as of late, and if they do somehow make it into the postseason, it's going to be on the backs of Goldie. He's mm-hmm. going to be part one of the main reasons that they actually secure that spot, and 
there's been a lot of instances recently where he sets the tone in the first inning. Now, can his teammates follow him all the time? I hope so, but he's been great for the team. Did you kind of think in the first half of the season, he's 33 years old, that we still had a good Goldie, but not a great Goldie? That's what I thought. Yes, but... Uh, historically, in, is as it gets warmer, so does he. Yeah. Like, as the season goes on, his numbers tend to rise. So I always had that in the back of my mind. But it wasn't necessarily just Paul Goldschmidt for me. It was the Cardinals offense mm-hmm. as a collective. I didn't know if it was... It was very hard for, I think, myself and a lot of other people to discern, is this an individual issue? Is this an age issue? Or is this just an approach issue? Because we're seeing a lot of players on this yep. team have offensive issues earlier in the season. And so Goldie has bought back, also bouncing back yesterday in the opener, uh, Henesis Cabrera. Two innings, he did allow three hits, but he struck out a pair, and his two innings were scoreless, and that was on the heels of his six-run, no-batters-out inning in Pittsburgh. So, seeing him bounce back was big for the Cardinals, too. Absolutely, and that's all that happened yesterday. Henesis Cabrera gets a good bounce back, Paul Goldschmidt was hot, the Cardinals take uh, the early game, and that's all we need to talk about, Randy. Well, it's not not all. (laughs) And I do want to point out that John Mozeliak and Mike Gersh take a lot of grief here. Fairly, I I think. A lot of it is fair. But Luis Garcia, they picked him up up off the scrap heap. He has the longest scoreless streak in Major League Baseball right now at 21 and two-thirds. He goes another scoreless inning yesterday. Luis Garcia and TJ McFarland were pretty good scrap heap dumpster dive pickups for the Cardinals. Yes, they were. We, we've already apologized about the way that a lot of people approach the Luster and Hap signings. So yeah. let's just add that to the tab. Mm-hmm. Sorry, front office of the Cardinals. Yeah. So the Cardinals do win the opener. And Mike Schild, how important was it to get that lead in the first game? Once you get that lead, we can, we can go and take our shot at it. And again, bullpen was fantastic. But short game, you want to make sure you grab that lead and figure out a way and, and uh, be able to bring it home, which we were able to. And so, short game in the second game, too. And what do the Cardinals do? And Tommy lifts it in the air, out to right. Castellanos back at the wall. one nothing Cardinals! Lead-off homer, Tommy Edmond, number 10 this year. St. Louis strikes first in game two. I can't tell you how great I was feeling at that moment, <laughs> Randy. We had spoken to Adam Wainwright earlier in the day. We asked him what he wanted for his birthday, and he said he had asked his teammates for a sweep of the Reds. After watching the first game, feeling great, the Cardinals had taken the first two games. I had made something to eat. I turned on the game just in time to see Tommy Edmond hit that home run, and I thought, oh, they're going to do it. They're going to sweep the Reds. They're going to give Adam Wainwright exactly what he wanted for his birthday. I can't believe it. Not so fast, Michelle. <laughs> Bottom of the first, Nicholas Castellanos with a two-run homer. Then this, in the second inning, he hit a grand slam to make it 6-1. to one. The Reds knocked out. Jay Happ, who only went an inning, allowed seven runs on eight hits. Uh, Junior Fernandez came out with an injury. Daniel Ponce de Leon gave the Cardinals an inning and a third. Cody Whitley got to pitch. Brandon Dixon got to pitch. Anthony Reyes got to come back and pitch. Alex Reyes. I always call I I see A. Reyes. Anthony, still top of mind because he got one game one of the 2006 World Series. Uh, But Alex Reyes with a scoreless inning and he struck out the side. So that was the highlight of that 12-2 loss. That was. (laughs) The beginning, Tommy Edmond, and the end, Alex Reyes. Tommy Edmond with a great defensive play, too. It was number one on SportsCenter's top ten. And SportsCenter watching baseball. How about that? 
It must have been a slow day, Randy. I would think it probably. <laughs> no NBA, no NFL, no uh, college football. I, I figured the top play was going to be Ben Simmons asking for a trade. <laughs> but no, it wasn't. I don't know. That was a pretty spectacular play. So other games last night, the... Phillies beat uh, and the Nationals were postponed. The Padres did lose. Diamondbacks defeated the Padres 8-3. to So as we look at the National League wildcard race right now, the Giants, who have fallen behind the Dodgers in the West, now lead, 13-game lead over the Reds. The Padres trail the Reds by a half game. The, Car- the Phillies are ahead of the Cardinals by percentage points. They're two and a half back. And the Cardinals are also two and a half back. And Michelle, the Philadelphia, uh, we haven't talked enough about Philadelphia. Here's their schedule in September. When you talk about outrageous, this is outrageous. They're playing Washington right now. They've got two more left with Washington. They've got three at Miami. They go to Milwaukee for three. Then they have Colorado at home for four. Colorado has the fewest home wins in Major League Baseball. Uh, Fewest road wins, I'm sorry. And and Philly has them in Philadelphia. Then they get the Cubs for three. Then they go to Reeling and uh, just downtrodden New York, the Mets, for three. They have seven consecutive home games, three against the Orioles and four against the Pirates. Oh, man. Just give it to them. Yeah. And then they go to Atlanta for three before they wind up at Miami for three. So they really only have half a dozen tough games left. The the three at Milwaukee and the three at Atlanta in September. That's it. And they're tied right now in the standings, two and a half back. Yeah. So their, their schedule really is favorable for them. We mentioned the Dodgers victory. They knocked off uh, the Braves 4-3, to and the Giants lost to the Brewers 5-2. to So the Dodgers now, after spending the summer in second place in the NL West, are now in first, and that's not a surprise to anybody. No, not at all. Max Scherzer was brilliant. Trey Turner with uh, the, the big hit in the ninth, eighth inning to, to win it for the Dodgers, who now have the lead over the... Giants in that division. Car- the Blues signed Colton Pareka to an eight-year contract, $52 million. It'll start next season. It'll be an extension. An AAV, Michelle, of $6.5 million. If Colton Pareko plays the way he did in the NHL before he got hurt last season, this will be a total bargain for the Blues. That's exactly what I thought when I first saw this news, is I thought, what? That's the cost for Colton Pareko? This could be another wizard move by Doug Armstrong. This could be an absolute steal because he has everything that you want out of a player. He can be a shutdown guy. He's got a powerful shot. He's a leader in so many ways. He's got championship pedigree. He understands the fan base and the the community. Mm -hmm. He's everything you could ever want. He's the guy that you would want to put on a billboard. But I have to tell you, Randy, back injuries make me very, very nervous. And I know that's probably why they were able to get him at this cost, because his representation understood that that's absorbing a risk from the Blues. But I just... Having not seen him yet this season, mm-hmm. even though everyone says he's healthy and he was able to avoid surgery, I'm a little nervous about the back. I've got to be honest. I'm with you. I, I don't disagree. When a guy signs a contract, and hey, that, that's even though it is a bargain for the Blues if he's healthy, it's a healthy amount of money too. Fifty-two million over eight years. Sometimes guys who have a back injury or an injury that could get worse. They say, okay, I'm going to take the money here. I'm going to take this guarantee just in case. But Pareko also gets it. His statement to to the public was, I can't wait to wear the blue note for another nine years. St. Louis has been my home now for six seasons, and this is where I want to be. All the relationships I've gained, the teammates I've had, and the organization have all had a big impact on me. Winning the Stanley Cup here in 2019 was special, and I want the chance to stay here and do that again. Perfect. It, yeah. So for him, 
He didn't need the no movement clause. He didn't need the most money. He just wants to be a St. Louis blue. A championship yeah. winning St. Wants Louis Wants to blue. do it again. So can't ask for much more than that. Michelle, it's amazing because it's been several years in the making. Four days from now, the preparations for the Ascension Charity Classic will be complete and things will open up over at Norwood Hills Country Club. We'll have the Pro-Am next week. And then one week from tomorrow will be the first day of the Ascension Charity Classic. Amazing. I can't believe we're in September. That snuck up on us very quickly. And uh, over the next few days that we're on the air, we're going to have tickets for the the 314 Club at the Ascension Charity Classic. Two Club 314 passes. And we're going to give away a pair right now. And all you need to do is know a little bit of history. Okay. Okay. Before the Ascension Charity Classic, which will be here long term, St. Louis has had a stop on the champions slash senior tour. What was the name of the tournament that St. Louis, the St. Louis area had that ended 20 years ago? What was the name of our previous senior tour event? Texter number 10 to 65780 with the correct name of said tournament will win the tickets. All we need is your email address. Uh, Emily will get in touch with you. We'll get your email address and we'll email you the tickets for the Club 314 pass at the Ascension Charity Classic next week. Your chance to go see Jay Jay Delsing play. And we've seen some pictures of it. It's going to be an awesome time. It's going to be amazing. It's a big time tournament. So 65780 and we'll give away a couple of uh, sets of tickets today. We're off and running here on Carriker and Smallman. Next up, Michelle is, I know that Michelle is sick of something. I know she is. Oh, yeah. And we've got sick of it coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. also want to know what you're sick of, send in your text to the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Michelle, this is something that has occurred for many, many years and is probably going to occur for many, many more years. But we continue to see the threats from the Buffalo Bills about leaving (laughs) Buffalo if they don't get a 100% publicly financed stadium Uh from the state of New York and the city of Buffalo. The National Football League told every community in America back in 2016, hey, we don't need your money. We turned down public money. We don't need your money anymore. We can build everything ourselves. I am so sick of sports teams, specifically the NFL, holding cities for ransom by demanding that they publicly build stadiums or else they'll leave. Couldn't agree more. It's also kind of incredible that they demand for new stadiums when a lot of these buildings are still viable. Yeah, right. It's not, it's not an Oakland situation where the stadium really does need so many repairs that it's probably easier to start over. I know the Edward Jones Dome might not have been in the top 25% of NFL stadiums, but it was a perfectly fine building, yep. continues to be a perfectly fine building that hosts a lot of big conventions and big events. It's all about having the biggest and the best, and it's all about these owners getting getting something new and shiny in the NFL, continuing to get something new and shiny to uh, present to their fans. And it's all its all about money and greed. That's all it is. Right. And now, because you've had the Patriots build their own stadium and the 49ers and the Cowboys and the Rams, 
Hey, the the NFL has set their precedent now that they can build a p- privately financed stadium. These people are multi-billionaires. There's no reason that they need somebody in Buffalo that's making $27,000 a year and paying taxes to pay for their stadium when they can pay for it themselves. That's right. I wonder if they're going to take that stand, though. Never. No, no chance. And... If I were a community like Buffalo, I would look at St. Louis and I would mention St. Louis. And I'd say, well, why didn't you take their public-private partnership? They offered a really good one. And you, the league, said, no, we vote 30 to 2, including the Pagulas, who were completely in on that, so that we can build a privately financed stadium in L.A. I should have clarified. I mean, I wonder if a city will ever take that stand. Oh, because I think yeah. if you look at Buffalo, Buffalo is the Bills. Right, they're they, desperate. They are desperate. So I don't know if they would stand up to the Pagulas or stand up to the NFL and use St. Louis and Stan Kroenke and the fact that he financed his own stadium in L.A. as an example and fight for them to pay for it because I think they are so desperate to keep the bills there that they'll likely do whatever they want. Yep. And I was desperate for us to keep the Rams here. But now that they're gone, I see things with clearer eyes. And I know Buffalo Buffalo is different than St. Louis because Buffalo, the Sabres are brutal, also owned by the Pagulas. Right. And they don't have anything like the Cardinals. The, they're, the bills for them are the Cardinals here. Yeah, and can you imagine if there was a threat that right. the Cardinals could leave? People yeah. would lose their minds. We'd be desperate. Desperate. Especially if there was examples like the Chargers and the Raiders mm-hmm. and the Rams of teams that had moved recently. And so we could look at the pathway and say, no, they actually could get ripped from us. We'll pay. Yep. <laughs> we'll do whatever it takes. Yeah, I'm just I- I'm sick of the audacity of NFL owners. But hopefully the trial, Randy, will help turn that frown right upside down. It's going to be fun. Hopefully their audacity is what gets them in trouble. I think it will. I think it has. I think it has. <laughs> What if what if they lose that trial? I keep thinking about this because every time you go to these hearings and you come back with your legal pad filled with <laughs> notes, I get really excited and I think there is no way that St. Louis can lose this. But then I remember that it's the NFL. Yeah. And then I remember that they get what they want regardless of what rules they have to bend or what secret meetings that they have to have. And I get worried that they'll find a way. I get worried that they'll maybe bump into a juror at an Applebee's or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but I get worried that they'll find a way to rig this thing in their favor, despite all of the evidence being put yeah. out there and showing that they clearly were in the wrong. Always a concern, but I do think that their chutzpah may have gotten the best of them here. I hope so. I hope so, too. Okay, well, Randy, you know what I'm sick of, and you can probably hear it in my voice. I'm sick of allergies. I figured that was the case. September comes around. Those ragweed levels start to rise. This is what happens in the fall, and I am incredibly allergic to a lot of things. And I'm not sick, but my allergies go bananas, and I am sick of it. I am sick of it. I don't I don't blame you. You should be sick of it. And it's the worst because you don't feel sick, but you sound bad, and your nose is stuffed up and you can't go outside or else you sneeze and your eyes water. It's awful. And I wouldn't think that September would be a big allergy month, but it is. Death to ragweed. Yeah. All right, Emily, what do you got for us on the text line? From the 573, sick of the ninth inning. Oh, yeah. Yeah, ninth innings are, they're they're tenuous many times. Yeah. Uh, But but we're talking about liking the doubleheader, I guess, here, huh? I I could not love seven inning doubleheaders. They're great. I wish every game was seven innings. Yeah. 
I think baseball, they would never do it because they want the, the, that extra TV money. They want extra innings where, well, more innings with butts and seats. But if a baseball game was seven innings, I think more people would love the game. More casual fans would love the game. It would be more old school. You could get by with a four or five man bullpen. It would be just different. It, it would. Even though it would be so revolutionary, it would make the game more old school. From the 314, sick of Schilt making us look like fools. Checking Castellanos' bat? Come on, man. It was chipped, and he said after the game, he said, I knew that there wasn't any recourse, but he was doing that for safety reasons, mm-hmm. he claimed. From the 314, sick of construction projects started but being drug out. There are a lot of construction projects in the St. Louis metro area. Uh, I know that you two, Michelle and Emily, have to drive a lot farther than I do. I don't have to deal with any construction whatsoever. But my daughter started a new job downtown and has to drive downtown. And man, there's a lot of construction between Creepcore and downtown St. Louis. I do not remember one time in my life when 64 was not under construction. It's always. always or 40 especially for you the, Missouri people. Well, and the, the bridge, the Poplar Street Bridge, is always under construction. Yet there's a million potholes on my streets that never <laughs> seem to get fixed. But it, it's just amazing that you would think at some point you think, well, we're done. We're done. No. From the 847, sick of Cardinals front office decision making. Build a winner. Well, I, I suppose that they haven't won a World Series since 2011, but they also haven't had a losing season since 2007. So it depends on what you consider winning. I mean, Pirates fans are probably asking their franchise to build a winner, right? Oh, I'm sure. Royals fans are probably asking Baltimore. their franchise yeah, to, to build a winner. The Cardinals, I think, are closer than those teams to actually being a world championship club. Closer than the Cubs to being a world championship club. Closer to the two uh, being a, a really good team than the Rangers or the Nationals or the Marlins. Or the Rockies. But isn't it, doesn't that say everything if we're having to compare the Cardinals to those teams? Yeah. How close are they to the Dodgers? And How close are they to the Yankees? How close are they to the Rays? Well, I, I remember before the 2006 World Series, and the Cardinals only won 83 games in 2006, and Bob Nightingale in USA Today picked the Tigers to win the World Series in three. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> it's, uh, it's not always the best team that wins. Many times, I, half the time it is. It's the team that's playing best in September. From the 618, sick of Dolphins talk. Let's talk fantasy and gambling instead, since that's why people love the NFL. People love the NFL because of the Miami Dolphins. That's right. I'm sorry. I apologize, but they do. Also, where was that from? I'm sorry, Emily. 618. Okay, to my people in the 618, let me tell you something. There is nothing more boring than hearing about someone else's fantasy team. You might want to hear about your fantasy team. No one else wants to hear about anyone else's fantasy team. No one wants to hear, oh, you wouldn't believe it. I had Derrick Henry and all he needed was three yards. No one cares. But no will, one cares. You will hear about ours ad nauseum. Well, we'll talk about it with Adam Wainwright. Yeah. And by the way, ours is daily fantasy. In, in Adam's league, it's you pick a team under a salary cap each week. So we'll have a different team each week. But you know what I mean? Yeah. You only like, you only care about your team. Yeah. You don't want to hear about our team. You don't want to hear about anything else. Yep. And by the way, our Except friends for your team. Our friends in the fast lane talk gambling every single day. They bet the board. Yeah. So yeah, you can uh, there's a lot of interest and fun with gambling. We talk we do FanDuel, but we just don't talk about it. That's right, but if you are interested in gambling FanDuel. Yes. Download it. 
from the 314. I'm sick of people on bicycles not following the rules of the road and blowing through stop signs and clogging roads during rush hour. So I am a, a cyclist. I don't ride on the road much, but I agree with you because the cyclists that do disobey the rules of the road, they ruin it for the cyclists that do obey because all of a sudden drivers who don't ride bicycles are thinking, man, I hate all bicyclists because they don't mm-hmm. obey the rules of the road. So I'm on board with you 100% and I'm a cyclist. It is very infuriating when you're driving down the road and there is a cyclist in front of you that's going very slow and you can't get around them and you look to your right and there's a designated area that they could be in. Mm-hmm. We use we started off this segment talking about the audacity of NFL owners. I think cyclists have a lot of audacity. They think I can just ride wherever I want and you have to curtail your driving experience to me. And I appreciate that they're being eco-friendly. I appreciate that they are getting their exercise in. But go to the designated area. Yep. Good text. Thanks. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. Next up, we're going to head up to Jersey. And our buddy Greg Amzinger of MLB Network will talk some ball and tell us if he thinks Nolan Arenado's comment to him at the All-Star Game was correct. That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> We're thinking about everybody in the Northeast that is being affected by the remnants of Hurricane and Tropical Storm Ida. And one of those people that's dealing with the rains and the repercussions of what happened in the Southeast over the weekend is Greg Amzinger of MLB Network. And he joins us now from his home in New Jersey. We hope you and the family are safe and sound. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing just fine. Family's fine. Thank you for asking. I, w- I want to paint a picture. Okay, you know I love my suits, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we went out to dinner. Now imagine people driving in front of my house, witness Greg Amstinger with an umbrella and my suit pants rolled up to my inner thighs, okay, <laughs> with my shoes in my hand and my socks, and I'm walking in knee-deep water my driveway. Wow. That is how bad it was. Six inches in my basement. I had inches in my dining room slash sunroom. It was bananas crazy around here. So uh, the cleanup starts today. I mean, I had no idea that New Jersey could be such a hurricane target, but my goodness, is it ever. Well, Greg, the suit's okay though, right? Yeah. Oh my God. That was my number one priority. You know, (laughs) it is going to be fine. One good dry clean and we'll just be okay. Okay. It's not a big deal. Okay. Good. Just want to make sure. Go ahead, Michelle. Oh, no, it's okay, Randy. Go ahead. Uh, a couple of things, Greg. Number one, uh, you told us right after the All-Star break that Nolan Arenado came up to you and whispered in your ear, dude, we're going to play in the uh, wild card game. Was he right? Yeah, I think he is. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on Nolan Arenado to like carry this team. I think it's unfair. Paul Goldschmidt is really coming out of his slumber. His number's looking great. A big day yesterday. To me, the key, and, and you, you both might disagree with this, I think I mean, you know, I do something is important in front of Goldschmidt and Arnado. And Tommy Edmund getting on this, which he's been doing the last week and a half, is paramount for the team to score enough runs to win. You got Wayne Wright, who's going to be 
consistent as ever. The starting pitching is getting healthier despite the fact that Flaherty's out. Uh, Jay Happ had his first real serious clunker yesterday in game two, but Lester's last one was good. I, I, I think it's enough if you can just get a spark plug at the top of the order and get guys on base. There's a distraction. The chance of hanging a slider go way up. I just think that spot in the order is important. And if Tommy Evans can keep swinging the bat, Cardinals are two and a half games out of this. And I know the schedule is going to be rough going forward, but I think the Brewers are looking at this in a different way. Ten of their last 25 games are going to be against the Brewers, a team that knows they're going to win the division easily. This is their division. I don't think they're going to stress out about it. So halfway through this the month, how are they going to be managing this? Most teams that know they're going to win the division, their number one goal is to make sure the rotation and their bullpen arms are healthy over one when the postseason begins. So to me, I think the Cardinals have winnable games on their schedule more than it seems when you look at it from an outsider's perspective. So I like. I don't think Nolan Arnau has ever lied to me. He's never <laughs> lied to me. So I don't think he's going to lie to me here. I hope not, Greg. I hope you're correct. Well, speaking of the leadoff spot, I don't know if you saw this, but there was a piece in The Athletic about Colton Wong and about how he's having an incredible offensive season. And and basically, if I'm going to paraphrase, he said, I just stopped doing everything the Cardinals told me to do in the leadoff (laughs) spot. And I started trusting myself and the Brewers let me be myself and let me do this approach. And you're seeing that in the numbers. We've we've heard uh, and talked a lot about the Jeff Albert approach this year. We've heard players say sometimes it might be too complicated. But when I see something like that from Colton Wong saying, I stop doing what the Cardinals told me to do offensively and I'm having success. If you're a Cardinals fan reading that piece, how concerned should you be about something like that? I think it's a great topic to discuss. There are so many teams that have a collective approach. One size fits all doesn't work for anything. It doesn't work for golf. It doesn't work for baseball. It doesn't work for football. It doesn't work for bowling. It just doesn't. All athletes are created differently. And having this one mental approach, to me, it's defensive offense, which I've never understood. So what these analytics groups do, they they get together and they say, here's how we attack this specific pitcher that you're going to be facing today. Don't swing at this pitch. His first pitch is always just a get me over, but he doesn't throw it for a strike. So don't ever swing at it. But what if he hangs it? Center cut. It's not a strike. I'm not supposed to swing at it. When you turn the brains on of athletes who've been so instinctually talented ever since they were born, I mean, these are professional baseball players. They've been better at kickball in kindergarten than everybody they've ever been around. They're the best athletes. They're the best at everything they've ever done. They didn't get there because they're thinking about what they're doing. They're instinctual athletes. But in our country, we overcoach kids. We're obsessed with it. And it's not the case in the Dominican Republic, not the case in Venezuela, not the case in Puerto Rico. And you're seeing so many of the biggest stars of the game. They're Latin American players. These kids are instinctual. We are turning the brains on of our athletes. And it's not the best. I don't think that's ready to fix our problems. Pitchers pitch once every fifth day. A starter pitches once every fifth day. Relievers are max effort. They throw two pitches. They don't have to think so much. So pitchers can game plan when they're a starter. But to be a position player every single day, I'm sorry. We've just celebrated 500 career home runs for Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera has one of the most simple mental approaches to hitting of anyone I've ever talked hitting with in my career in baseball. 
And it's one of the greatest hitters ever. Albert Pools is a very simple approach. He's worried about where his hands are, throwing the knob at the ball. He's worried about what he does, what he likes. And Colton Wong is getting back to what got him to the big leagues. And that's what the Brewers have been. They've been a hub for reclamation projects. Willie Adamas didn't cut it in Tampa Bay. Now he's a star. Avancio Garcia cut it for a little bit in the American League. No one wanted him anymore. Now he's a star. Omar Narvaez has bounced around from club to club to club. And now he is a mainstay cleanup hitter for the Milwaukee Brewers. Let these players be the, these players. They are what they are. So a collective approach, which the Cardinals aren't alone, other clubs are doing this, I don't think works everywhere. It just doesn't. Greg Amsinger, MLB Network, with us on 101 ESPN. And, Greg, the leading hitter in Major League Baseball right now is Trey Turner of the Dodgers. The leading pitcher in terms of walks and hits to innings pitched is Max Scherzer of the Dodgers. With all due respect to other teams in baseball, like the Brewers and the Yankees and the Rays and the White Sox, did the Nationals trade the World Championship to the Dodgers on July 29th? That's a great question as well. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. I will say this. I have changed the way I view um, the postseason compared to the marathon that is the regular season. And we've discussed this on the show many times. The Tampa Bay Rays, they have mastered the marathon of 162. They really have. Do I like their chances to go to the World Series? No, I I don't. Uh, And the reason I would say that is I don't like the swing and miss in their starting rotation. They've had so many guys injured. Uh, Luis Patino might be a game one starter for the Tampa Bay Rays. I don't think anybody with the Rays cares because they've got all these interchangeable arms that will come in and try to get guys out. It doesn't work in the postseason. You, You do need three horses in your rotation, legit swing and miss starters. At some point, game six or seven, you need to come out of a bullpen. I mean, that's been what, what the format's been in October for the last eight to ten years. And you need swing and miss in the seventh, eighth, and ninth innings. That is paramount. Okay? So you need weapons in the back end of your bullpen. You need weapons at the front end of your starting rotation. Based on that, how can you not like the Dodgers' chances? Oh, wait a minute. When you look at what the Brewers have in the front of their rotation compared to any rotation, and I know the Dodgers have – Scherzer and Bueller and Arias, maybe at some point Clayton Kershaw, but are you really getting Kershaw back? Uh, it's hard to look at Brewers' arms, especially in the back end with Devin Williams with the best changeup of the game. And Josh Hader now throwing 99 as a closer. It looks like a taller version of Mitch Williams back in the 90s. <laughs> I still think the Milwaukee Brewers swing and miss. When you've got a guy like Freddie Peralta who's got a cape for nine, around 14 as a starting pitcher, that is unheard of. I still think the Brewers, if I would give you power rankings right now, the Brewers would be number one on my list and the Dodgers would be number two. Greg, I wanted to ask you about the Mets, and I'm not going to ask you about the thumbs down or the booing or DUIs or anything like that, but when I, when I look at the Mets, they're five games back in the NL East. Do you think that they need to do a major overhaul, not overhaul, but really, really go after it again this offseason because of the disappointment? Or do you think that you can just point all of their failures to Jacob deGrom, to losing Uh, Jacob deGrom? Honestly, the whole thing is a mess right now. You get the GM with a DWI. That news just broke. Uh, He's not traveling with the team. Uh, there's a, there's an owner. He's kind of a maverick. He's excited to own his favorite team. I, I think you're going to be uh, witnessing a, a sweeping overhaul in many different positions. Uh, I think this is a guy that 
understood for him to get the green light to own the Mets, uh, he needed a babysitter. And that babysitter is someone that's widely respected throughout the league as, you know, frugal uh, GM, and that is Sandy Alderson. So that was the only way he could buy it. He had to have all the owners know that the frugal Sandy Alderson would be his GM and president of baseball operations. And eventually, uh, Sandy Alderson will not be doing that job. And you will have the owner who's paid a ton of money for his favorite team with uh, a guy that wants to spend money and is okay doing it and doing what he wants him to do. This team's going to spend money. They will have a new manager next year. If I had to throw something against the wall, see if it sticks. Uh, Carlos Correa is beloved in Boston. A.J. Hinch is a godsend in Detroit. These guys were all cheaters, quote-unquote. Carlos Beltran will be managing the Mets next year, in my, in, my, in my humble opinion. He will be managing the Mets. Uh, I think you're going to see a sweeping overall. One quick thing, though, about about the booing. I had a take on MLB Network that I, I am not ashamed of. There is a reason why players love playing in St. Louis. There is. When there's a runner at second base and Nolan Arenado's up, there's no one out. And he, he, he misses a, a center cut fastball and chops it to second base, puts his head down in frustration. And all of a sudden, as he's jogging back to the dugout, there's a standing ovation of over 40,000 fans because he got a runner to third base with less than two outs. And these players go, this is a play. Where else, when you go to New York, you're getting booed. Well, we pay you $30 million a year for a ground ball on the second base. Drive in the run. Okay, so booing players. I don't know why in our society do we deem it okay to verbally abuse professional athletes. Oh, is it because, oh, I get it. You paid for your ticket, so you have the right to boo grown men. Well, wait a minute. I, I, I paid for $500 of groceries the other day, but the, the bagger forgot to, that I asked for paper, and he gave me plastic. Should I have verbally abused him in the grocery store? I did pay $500 for groceries just now. I'm a paying customer. It makes no sense. Uh, one cool last thing. I, I hosted the draft in Denver, and we had fans for the first time. This isn't breaking news. Every commissioner gets booed at every single one of these drafts. So Rob Manfred came out, and there was this elderly woman in a wheelchair, and she had a cane right off the set. She was in my ear, basically, the whole night. For five and a half hours, this elderly woman painfully stood out of her wheelchair using a cane to boo and verbally abuse Rob Manfred <laughs> the entire night. And I sat there wondering, should we have more therapy across this country? Because people are using sporting events to deal with their anger issues and childhood problems. So I, it's weird to me. I'm not a booer. I don't understand people that boo. And I have a feeling I'm talking to two people that don't boo either. No, I, I don't. Booer. And uh, I get it that I, I do think, Greg, that when you pay for tickets, if you want to boo, go ahead and boo. But your take on MLB Network, I had the identical take here. I think that's the part of the reason that people like Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado want to stay, want to be here, and why Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright want to stay here because they know that they'll be treated well by reasonably intelligent fans at Bush Stadium appreciating the little things. And for some reason, correct me if I'm wrong, the Cardinals have players with 100-plus million-dollar contracts. They do. So why is it in the Northeast fans are overly consumed with Francisco Lindor's salary, overly consumed with how much Jacob Brown pitches, and when he doesn't pitch, they're angry. Like 
there are other teams in other cities all over this country that have well-paid players. For some reason, money is a topic that always comes up on the Northeast and out West. So I just think we need to understand that all of us can do better. Players can play better. GMs can make better roster decisions. And dare I say, fans can behave better. I'm saying that right now in St. Louis where they're the best fans in all of sports. So my message really is falling on deaf ears, but <laughs> maybe this will be viral and go out somewhere else. Fans need to do better, and they need to stop verbally abusing professional athletes. It's weird. It does not help them. It does not help them play better. Trust me. Well said. Be safe there, you and your family. We're thinking of you, and have a great week, and we'll be in touch. All right, you guys are the best. Talk next week. All right, Greg, thank you. Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, joining us as he does on Thursdays on 101 ESPN. I might have booed if I had to pay $500 for groceries. Yeah, that's – but Greg buys a lot of wine. Oh, well, there you go. That's a couple bottles right there. That's a couple hundred right there. I mean, if, he, if he's wading through his driveway, <laughs> I, um, I, right. I would pay for the wine, too. <laughs> that's Michelle. I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service, text line 65780. We've got Take It or Leave It coming your way on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Good luck to you if you're participating in the St. Louis Sports Commission Biz Dash tonight, 5 to 9 in downtown St. Louis. Starts outside of Ballpark Village and it's presented by Worldwide Technology. Michelle, I know that you like to run. Would you do the 5K Biz Dash? Have you ever done it before? I've never done that, but I've completed many a 5K. I know you have. <laughs> so we could get involved in that. We could have a 101 ESPN team. So congratulations to everybody who's participating. And the award ceremony tonight at 815, the Biz Dash presented by the St. Louis Sports Commission. All right, your text 65780. We want to play Take It or Leave It. Michelle, with Eli Drinkwitz at Mizzou and Brett Bielma at Illinois, Take It or Leave It, we must get Illinois Mizzou on Labor Day weekend again to open the season at the Dome. I would love it. Take it. Even though it didn't work out well for my Illini most years, Mm -hmm. it was such a fun way to kick off the season. The bragging rights game in basketball is one of the the best things on the sports calendar here in St. Louis. I would love to bring the football game back. I would, too. I would love to have it here. I I really thought that that had become one of the great events on the St. Louis sports calendar because it was it was a juiced up bragging rights game. It, it was half Illinois. It was half Mizzou. It was very, very cool. And by the way, if you're thinking of going to Mizzou this weekend, plenty of tickets available at 1-800-CAT-PAWS or at mutigers.com Mizzou and Central Michigan. Be sure to go to the game if you can. It sounds like an awesome time to kick off the season. Yeah. Um, I also think that Mizzou and Illinois both don't have true rivals right now. Mm-hmm. If that so for right, Mizzou, it's point. always it's always Kansas, but they they're not playing Kansas, yeah. right? So, what is it? Try is it Arkansas? Is that what they try to do? Is like that's the Mizzou the, Arkansas the manufactured one? Yeah, and it doesn't feel great. You know, you, no. you don't and like them, but you don't hate them the way well, you hated Kansas, or you might hate Illinois. It's it's Thanksgiving weekend yeah, too now, and for Illinois, they try to make it Northwestern, but no one cares. Everyone no. couldn't care less. No, on the Northwestern side, on the Illinois side. So I think that there is a rivalry there between Mizzou and Illinois because you 
do play the basketball game every year. You, the geography is there, and you did used to play um, the football game every year. So why not put that back and really foster a great rivalry, a great border war that both schools are missing in so many ways? And the schools are going to play home and home, but I just think they should play at the Dome. I agree. Play it on a neutral site. Yeah. Right by the river, too, that that divides both states. Yep, be great. I love it. Okay, so, Randy, in the second game last night, in the fourth inning, Nolan Arnato hit a home run. And if you were watching the game, you saw that a couple of Reds fans, a man and a woman, got the ball. The woman specifically got the ball. You could see on the broadcast that the man was telling her, throw it back. It's a Cardinals player. We don't want it. Throw it back. She was a little hesitant to do so. I think that she ended up keeping the ball. But take it or leave it, if you caught a home run ball, regardless of the fact that it might have been from the opposition, you're keeping it. Yeah, it never goes back on the field. I'm keeping it. Absolutely. And I know that became a tradition among Cubs fans to throw an opposition's ball back onto the field. But Cubs fans would bring their own baseballs in like they bought for a dollar and throw that one back onto the field so they really were keeping the home run balls. Yeah, I'm keeping a home run ball that I catch at a major league game. Or a foul ball for that matter same there's no way i'm throwing it back no silly but there you get so many when you go to a reds game because they (laughs) hardly have any fans there they're easy to come by you just get one the next time all right your texts emily what do you have for us from the 314 take it or leave it the cardinals need to move some pitchers in the offseason and sign carlos rodon I'm going to leave that. Carlos Rodon has had a really good season. My guess would be that he'll wind up back with the White Sox. But his injury history is not one that you want to get rid of your pitchers to take a gamble on. Also, which pitchers would you be moving? I don't think that if you're the Cardinals, you you certainly don't want to move Flaherty or Reyes, right? Those are going to be top of the rotation guys. All due respect to Carlos Rodon, I'd rather have Adam Wainwright. Me too. And so then you're looking at the Cardinals. You don't know if Happ or Lester are going to be back anyway. Uh, Hudson's not in that mix. He'll be in your rotation, though, next year. That's what I mean. That's four for you. And you still have Michaelis under contract, and you might re-sign KK. And you have Libertor on the way. So my guess would be that the White Sox will keep Rodon. I don't think he's necessarily a fit for the Cardinals right now. From the 314, take it or leave it, the Alliance will kill the bragging rights games. Why would the Alliance kill it? The Big Ten, Pac-10, or yeah, Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC Alliance. But there's nothing in writing with that alliance for scheduling purposes. Right. So I, I don't think that that will. I can't imagine that the other conferences would be against that. If anything, it it might be a broadcast. The whole point of the alliance was to make sure that things got scheduled that benefits the the conferences in the alliance and the Big Ten is in the alliance. And I can imagine that that would get more eyes on it than some other Mm non-conference games that you would schedule. So why wouldn't the alliance be in favor of that? And if you're power five, if you're the Big Ten in the SEC, what you want at the end of the day is the most money that you can get. And Illinois and Mizzou is going to provide you more money than Illinois or or Illinois against uh, Florida State or Mizzou against Stanford. Correct. So you're going to get more money there. By the way, that schedule resumes the the rivalry. 2026 Mizzou at Illinois, 2027 Illinois at Mizzou, 2028 at Illinois, 2029 uh, Illinois at Missouri again. So it's a four-year deal. Needs to be in St. Louis. I agree with you 100%. From the 314, take it or leave it, Wainwright, if not a Cardinal, would consider playing for Tony as a White Sox. I'm going to leave that. That's a really good one. 
because I wonder if that's something that was discussed in the offseason or that he's ever thought of. Because he's a he is a cardinal. Yeah. That I'm sure that it would be difficult for him to leave. But if you're going to leave, we talked about the Braves in the offseason, that going back to Georgia might be something that entices him. I can imagine playing on a team that's really good and playing for Tony Larusa would be something that he would at least consider. I don't think he'd hang up the phone. I don't think he or the Cardinals will allow that, that he would go to another team. If it was going to happen, I believe it was going to happen last offseason before the Cardinals got Arenado. And he told you when you asked the question, how close were you? He said, I was pretty close to going somewhere else. Then the Cardinals brought in Arenado. Now... He's got at max one year left. He says if it's not this year, he's going to retire after next year. Why blow up that legacy in St. Louis of having played for the Cardinals, having been only a Cardinal? He he adores the franchise. They adore him. John Moselock said, hey, we're, we're, we'll talk, but we don't know what he wants to do yet. Oh, I don't think it's going to happen, especially after the season that he's had. I don't think the Cardinals are letting him out of the door. And I think especially with Yachty coming back for what he said in his final season, that Wayno doesn't want to go elsewhere. I interpret it or interpreted the Teoli as if the Cardinals didn't want him and it okay. wasn't happening here instead of retiring, he the, would go play for Tony. Then that would make sense. Yeah, that would be very sensible. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. And thanks for your text to the Air Comfort Service text line at 65780. Coming up, the Cardinals split against Cincinnati, and now it's Milwaukee. What do they have to do in their games left against the Brewers? That's next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> Randy's a little older. Oh, that's not what we wanted here. Hold on. I don't think that's what we... Here we go. Sunshine, lollipops, oh, here we go. and ah, rainbows. Nice. Everything that's wonderful is what I feel when we're together. 808 in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. The Cardinals got drilled in the second game of a doubleheader yesterday. 12-2 to at uh, the SoSo American Ballpark in Cincinnati. But Mike Schilt... You did win two out of three in the series. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to, you know, work it in. But uh, the last game didn't go the way we wanted, but won two out of three. Went two out of three the rest of the way. We're going to feel really good about our September and going into October. So I thought it was an excellent series. Um, a lot of good baseball, a lot of timely hitting, a lot of tough pitching, a lot of good baseball. The last game didn't go our way, but the first two were hard fought, and we came out on top and won a series. And, you know, we feel good about that, and uh, we'll get ready to go to Milwaukee. All right, Michelle, he said you got to win two out of three the rest of the way. Okay. Cardinals have exactly 30 games to go. Okay. They need to go 20 and 10, obviously, to win two out of every three. You need to go 20 and 10. Okay. They have 10 of those games against the Brewers, who I would guess the Cardinals, if they do really well, 10 of those games against the Brewers, if they go five and five, I think everybody would be happy and satisfied. Sure, I would be. So 15 and five against the other ones. Okay, but... Sure, Randy, 15 and 5. That sounds great, but let's see if we can find 15 wins remaining on the Cardinals schedule. Okay, among those 20. Yes, among okay. the 20. So let's take the Brewers out of it, start a three-game set versus the Brewers tomorrow, 7, 10 p.m. Adam Wainwright gets the ball, so we feel good about yeah. that at least. Okay, so following 
looking at the Brewers, you have four versus the Dodgers. One and three. Okay, you're going to do the math. I'm going to just read these to you. Then you follow up with three versus Cincinnati. Okay, we won two or three there, so let's just give, let's be generous and say two or three. Okay. Following the Reds, you face the Mets. Three All right. for three I, games. The Mets are a dumpster fire, but I don't think you sweep them. I think let's be generous again and say two out of three. Following the Mets, you see the San Diego Padres for three games. Who are hot. Mm-hmm. Padres are pretty good. The Cardinals have trouble with Fernando Tatis Jr. I'm going to say that the Padres are a better team, and the Cardinals take one out of three against the Padres. So then you have four versus Milwaukee. Okay, so, then that's part right. of our 500 so, against them. Scrolling past Milwaukee. Then you have four versus Chicago. Hard to sweep any team, even though they've quit. And the front offices quit. The players have not. So, again, I'm going to say the Cardinals go 3-1 and one against the Cubbies. And it's in Chicago. I don't know if that matters. But no. you know at least that there will be people at Wrigley Field. Right. Uh, then you have three versus the Brewers. And then you close out the season if you are the Cardinals. The Cardinals close out with three again versus Chicago here in St. Louis. Okay, I'll be generous again, and I'll say the Cardinals go 2-1, and one, which gives the Cardinals 3, 6, 9, 12, 13, 14 losses. And... Is that right? And then two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So I, I think the Dodgers and Padres series are crunchers there. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, and fourteen I have for those twenty-five games. So we cannot come up with fifteen wins. Not right now. No. I, I would say no. If if you completely sweep the Cubs if you win seven against the Cubs and rather than going three and one and two and one you go seven and oh then all of a sudden you're up to 13 wins and then take two or three against the Padres that'll get you up to 14 split with the Dodgers this ain't happening (laughs) I was gonna say what makes you think that they can sweep the Cubs they split versus the Pirates yeah I, I would like for this to happen but unfortunately this is not going to happen. The schedule, and by the way, we talked about it earlier, the the Phillies schedule is like Charmin soft. They've got the easiest schedule in baseball the rest of the way. And for those of you that weren't with us earlier, I will run it down for you. But Philadelphia's schedule is absolutely ridiculous the rest of the way. So rest of September from here on in, they've got Games at the Nationals uh, today. They've got a doubleheader. Then they've got three at the Marlins. They visit Milwaukee for three. That's two. Then they have four at home against the Rockies. Rockies with the fewest road victories in Major League Baseball. After the Rockies come in, it toughens up. You've got the Cubs for three <laughs> in Philadelphia. Then you go to New York, and we mentioned there the Mets are a dumpster fire. Then Michelle seven in a row at home for the Phillies between September 20th and 26th. Against the Orioles for three and the Pirates for four. And then a series at Atlanta. That's a tough one. And they, they, that might be for the NL East mm-hmm. crown. Mm-hmm. And then the Phillies wrap up with a series at the Marlins. So Philadelphia, and they're playing well and they have good starting pitching. They're going to win a bunch of games down the stretch. We're looking at Cincinnati and San Diego. And by the way, the Phillies are ahead of the Cardinals now in terms of points percent, uh, the winning percent. They're both two and a half back. Right. But they're ahead yeah. for points. So. I have trouble believing looking at that Cardinals schedule and the Phillies schedule that the Cardinals are going to head a, finish out of Philadelphia. Randy, we were trying to find 15 wins and we were doing it through a sunshine lollipops lens mm-hmm. and we still couldn't arrive yeah. at 15 wins. I was trying to be generous. <laughs> you were very yeah. generous. That's yeah, pretty I tough. Just, it's, 
Unfortunately for them, they've put themselves in this position where they're going to face some really quality opponents coming up. And I just always go back to June, the month of June. Had they been better in June, where would they be right now? What position would they be in right now? But you can't look back. You can only look forward. And unfortunately, we're looking ahead, and it's yeah. a pretty tough road. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it's it's not going to be easy for the Cardinals. We wish them luck, wish them the best, but it's going to be tough. All right, that's today's Fresh Take with Michelle and Randy on 101 ESPN. We're going to talk to Blues coach Craig Berube at the bottom of the hour, so an early edition of The Fight comes your way next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome to The Fight on Character and Smallman. An early edition of the fight here on 101 ESPN on this Thursday, because coming up next, we're going to talk to the head coach of your St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube. So you want to stick around for that. But like I said, it's time for the fight. So let's welcome in Randy's challenger today. You may remember him from yesterday because he beat Randy on the tiebreaker question. Brian is with us. What's up, Brian? Not much. How are you? We are doing great today. Thank you for jumping on the fight early. We appreciate it. No problem. All right. Well, let's jump in. And again, Brian won yesterday. If he wins today, he's one step closer to the Fight Hall of Fame. Question number one for you, Brian. Happy 73rd birthday to college and pro football Hall of Famer Terry Bradshaw. Bradshaw was initially the second person on the depth chart at Louisiana Tech to which former A&E reality TV star? Was it Gene Simmons of Kiss? Was it Phil Roxy Robertson of Duck Dynasty? Or was it Dog from Dog the Bounty Hunter? The Phil Robertson. The NFL season kicks off a week from today. Which team hosted? Which team has hosted the most NFL kickoff games since the d- tradition was introduced in 2002? Is it the Giants, the Steelers, or the Patriots? Let's go with uh, Pittsburgh. Question number three for you, Brian. Who is Illinois's? Excuse me. Who is Illinois' all-time leader in passing yards? Is it Kurt Kittner? Is it Jack Trudeau? Or is it Juice Williams? Let's go with Kurt Kittner. And who holds the record for most strikeouts in a single game in Cardinals history? Is it Steve Carlton, Dizzy Dean, or Bob Gibson? Bob Gibson. Okay, we're checking our score. Waving in Randy, who is in a full Mizzou Tigers jumpsuit today. <laughs> or sweatsuit, jumpsuit. I don't know what you want to call it, but Randy's in a full. I mean, you look like, Randy, that you're getting ready to run oh, practice. You need a whistle M-I-Z. around your neck. That's right, yeah. Z-O-U, I love it. Uh, Randy, you remember Brian. He beat you yesterday. Yeah, Brian, great to have you with us. Welcome back. Thank you, sir. Do you get mad that I rub in that someone beat you the day before? No, it doesn't okay, bother good. me at all. Just want to know. All right, Randy. The Cardinals. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we're we're conditioned to, <laughs> to splitting or losing. All right, you ready? Yep. Happy 73rd birthday to college and pro football Hall of Famer Terry Bradshaw. Mm. Bradshaw was initially the second guy in the depth chart at Louisiana Tech to which former A&E reality TV star? Ooh, I will do the lifeline here. Is it 
Gene Simmons of Kiss, also from the very popular Gene Simmons Family Jewel Show. Mm. Is it Phil Roxy Robertson of Duck Dynasty, or is it Dog from Dog the Bounty Hunter? I'm going to go Roxy Robertson. Seems like a Louisiana kind of guy. The NFL season kicks off a week from today. Which team has hosted the most NFL kickoff games since the tradition was introduced in 2002? Logic would dictate that that would be the New England Patriots, so I'll go with that. Who is Illinois' all-time leader in passing yards? Ooh, uh... Is it, um... I don't... It's... I'm thinking Jeff George... I don't think Juice had that many. I'll play the Jeff George card here. And who holds the record for most strikeouts in a single game in Cardinals history? By a pitcher? By a pitcher. A lefty Steve Carlton had 19 in a start and lost. Lost the game. How frustrating is that? Yeah. All right. Was Brian able to take down Randy two days in a row? Emily, ring the bell. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved HeroLoan.com. Just win, baby. <laughs> Randy. I'm sorry, Brian. Randy got you three to one. Randy was on fire today. Got the Illinois question wrong, though. We're going to talk oh. about that in a second. Okay, so it's Terry Bradshaw's 73rd birthday, and he was second on the depth chart initially at Louisiana Tech. He was behind Phil Roxy Robertson of Duck Dynasty. Also, fun fact, Phil Robertson also invented the Duck Commander Duck Call. How about that? I've never watched one episode of Duck Dynasty. Have you? I have not, but there are duck calls that are cool out there that... He invented. That's cool. Yeah. So I'm putting two and two together. I guess it's called Duck Dynasty because he invented the duck call. That makes sense. All right. Duck Commander Duck Call. Um, now, the next one was which team has hosted the most NFL kickoff games since the, tra- the tradition was introduced in 2002? And you're right, Randy. It was the Patriots. They've hosted four games, four NFL kickoff games since 2002, 04, 05, 15, and 17. Illinois' all-time leader in passing yards is Jack Trudeau, 8,725 yards from 1981 to 1985. Who are the three choices? Kurt Kittner, Jack Trudeau, Juice Williams. Okay. I would have gone with Juice Williams, so I would have gotten it wrong anyway. He's third on that list, 8,000... 37 yards from 2006 okay. to 2009. But shout out Juice Williams, who used to wear a Letterman jacket around campus. I oh, did he really? Cool. Yeah, I, I loved it. I used to see him walk in the quad. I was like, sick leather sleeves, Juice. <laughs> but seriously. All right. And the Cardinal who holds the, holds the record for most strikeouts in a single game in Cardinals history is Steve Carlton. 19 versus the Mets on September 15th, 1969. Brian, tough fight today. Thank you for listening. Thanks for playing and have a great rest of your week. Appreciate it, guys. We'll try it again sometime soon. Absolutely. Did you ever watch Dog the Bounty Hunter? Remember uh, son Leland? Braid? Shaved uh, head? I did not watch enough of Dog the Bounty Hunter. No. Beth, his wife? She was tough. Really? Oh, she's tough. I'm, Beth, the wife? Oh, yeah. So can I go back and find this? Is it uh, on Netflix or something? I'm sure you can find it somewhere. Okay. I'm sure. But Dog is quite the character. His entire family characters. Okay, I'll find it. And I'll watch it, and we'll have a review. I believe it's based in Hawaii, and it's it follows Dog, who is a bounty hunter, and his family, who runs the business, as they go hunt criminals. I like that. People that are wanted. It's great. 
I haven't watched it in many years, but it'll make you laugh, that's for sure. All right. Shout out to Leland. <laughs> Leland. All right. Coming up on 101 ESPN, the Blues signed Colton Pareko to a new eight-year contract yesterday. We're going to talk to what that means for the coach, Craig Berube, next with him on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Character and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, Randy Character. great to have you with us. And as Emily mentioned, the Blues did sign Colton Pareko to a new contract yesterday, $8 million, or an eight-year extension worth $52 million. And the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, Craig Bruby, joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. Coach, always good to have you with us. How are you doing this morning? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me on. Hey, we're excited to have you. And let's start with this. Uh, how much does a healthy Colton Pareko mean to Craig Bruby and the success of the St. Louis Blues? Oh, it means a lot. Obviously, he's uh, been a backbone for this team for uh, quite a few years now. And we saw what uh, he did uh, when we won the Stanley Cup and, you know, how he played and uh, what a what a big force he was out there for us. So uh, getting him back healthy and uh, getting him signed up for, for uh, these years would be great for the hockey team, obviously for him too. Chief, do you look at him when he gets to his best? When you envision what Colton Pareko can be at his best, is he a Norris Trophy type of guy? Yeah, he is, I think, without the puck. I think defensively, um, you know, he's one of the best in the National Hockey League at killing plays and and um, and skating the puck out of your zone. You know, those things are – a lot of times those, those things, skating the puck out of your zone are things that are really – you know, either you have it or you don't have it as a player, and he has that capability of escaping with his speed and his and his size, and you know, holding people off and getting that puck out of your zone. Offensively, um, you know, maybe not as high level as some players in the league, but uh, he has produced for us offensively, scoring you know ten goals a couple times and uh, putting up some points. Uh, I think a lot depends on power play. To be honest with you, um, anytime somebody gets on a power play for a significant amount of time or consistent basis, they're going to put up more points than than if they're not on it. Chief, we know that Colton was limited a little bit last season with that back injury. He was able to avoid surgery, but have you spoken to him? How is that back feeling, and is he 100% for the season? Yeah, he looks really good, and he feels real good right now uh, speaking with him. He's been in there training with the team and skating, so he, he's 100%. He's going to be ready to go, and you know we expect him to be uh, fully healthy. And, Chief, now you've got some real stability on your club. When you look at on the blue line with Pareko and Falk and Tori Krug and up front, you've got Shannon Bushnevich now, and Saad is going to be here for a while. From a coach's perspective, talk about what that stability and the knowledge of who's going to be playing for you means. Well, it means a lot. I think, you know, like you said, you got those guys in the back end and the guys up front. Um, you know these guys are going to be here for, for a significant amount of time. They're all really good veteran guys that have been around. Bushnevich a little bit younger than the other ones, but uh, up-and-coming player. He's proven that he's been a real good player in New York um, with and without the puck and doing some real good things. So real great upside with him. So uh, I just think you got some real you know, real good leaders and veteran players that are locked up for a significant amount of time. And by the way, I, I didn't mention Jordan Bennington. It'll be nice to write number 50 into uh, that spot between the pipes for the next six years, too. 
Oh, definitely. I think, you know, we all know what Benner's capable of doing and what he's done and proven. And, uh, you know, again, he's he's become a real good leader on this team, too. Um, you know, he's got that capability of uh, just bringing guys along and, and, and um, with his leadership and his attitude. Uh, it really, you know, brings our team to another level. And he, is, he, he, he has that capability. So it's great to have him locked up, too. It's been a, a year plus, really, of a lot of unexpected things that have been happening in the hockey world and the world period. And you as the Blues have had to adjust to those. And when I look back and I think about everything that you guys have endured, the disruption of the schedule, uh, going to the bubble, the schedule construction last year, going into the West, it's got to be nice to have a little bit more stability this year. But when you look back, Chief, how much do you think those things that you guys had to adjust to on the fly might have derailed what this team could have been um i think there's you know it's obviously has an impact i think it impacts every team differently um but in the end everybody's got to deal with it so you got to overcome those things and uh try and and you know get get to that level that's needed to win um you know i think two years ago going into the bubble uh we were at that level i thought our team was really playing well at the time we stopped and there was a stoppage and then there's there's distractions that affected our team obviously going into the bubble uh which i think had an effect on our team last year was totally different you know i think the injuries had a lot to do with last year um and it just really never stopped you know even going into the playoffs we get covid with three guys and you know the same thing we were still banged up a little bit so i think the injuries had a big effect on our team last year i think last year was more of a transition year um you know new leadership group and and you know some some veterans that have been around the blues for a long time and uh you know you know helped this team win a stanley cup they left and they were gone for different reasons so a new leadership group had to take over. So I think it was a transition year. And I think, you know, this year they're going to be more settled in our leaders and uh, we're going to be in a better spot. Blues coach Craig Bruby with us on 101 ESPN on the heels of Colton Pareko signing that eight-year $52 million extension yesterday. And Chief, along those lines, for the style of play that you want your team to employ, does having a real training camp make a difference too? Because last year it was more normal, but you still had the shorts training camp because of COVID, and obviously heading into the bubble, you only had a few days. Seems to me that if you're going to play a physical style like you do, that you need to build up to that with the training camp. Well, a camp does help. Uh, you know, but, you know, we've gotten off to real good starts the last couple of years, you know, to be honest with you. So I don't know how much camp had to play into it, but, uh, you know, I think this year with some of the new players and, uh, you know, that are coming into our team, I think camp's going to be really important for them to adjust to a new style of play, a new philosophy, systems, things like that. That'll be really important. So it's great that we're going to have a full camp and we've got exhibition games that we can really, you know, dial everybody in and, and get everybody on board to what we want to do. Chief, I wanted to ask you about the headlines that have been in the news about Vladimir Tarasenko. We talk about it, fans read about it, but what's it like when you're inside the dressing room or when you're getting ready for camp? Is that something that you and the players are able to to block out or is it something that creeps in and you pay attention to it a little bit? Well, I think you... You know, he's glad he's there. He's training. He's he looks great. Um, he's ready to you know ready to roll. I mean, things you know, players want to be moved sometimes, and uh, sometimes it doesn't work out the way you know 
everybody wants it or he wants it. So you got to deal with what you got to deal with when Vladdy's back. Uh, we know he's a very good player and he's been a good player and we expect him to be uh, a blue and playing and, and doing a great job for us. And I think he he's on board with that too. So that's, you know, stuff that we talk about internally, uh, me, Doug Armstrong, uh, the leaders, um, and Vladdy. So that's stuff that we'll handle internally. And, uh, we just march on forward and, and get ready to roll. So you would expect him, uh, I, I'm going to put you on the spot here, do you expect him to start camp with you? Well, I, look, he's here right now, so I, I do expect that because as a coach, i got to expect him uh, that he's going to be here right now, and that's the way I look at it because I have to. All right. Before camp starts, you're going to be playing in the Ascension Chal- uh, Classic uh, Charity Challenge on September 11th. We, last time we talked to you was when this had been named and you'd been playing a lot. Are, are you pretty dialed in, Chief? Are you ready to go here on the 11th? <laughs> well, I could be dialed in one day and undialed the next. That's why I go. That's the way golf goes. And uh, so I just hope I got it down that day. So I'm, I'm kind of helping out my partner as much as I can. I wish I could give you guys a good answer, but I hope I'm, I hope I hit it well that day. Coach, I'm the exact same way. I never know from day to day, and that's what makes golf great. I, I can be hitting the daylights out of the ball the one day, and then next day I can't get my wedges up in the air. I have no idea what, what's happened to my game. Oh, that's a tough game, I'll tell you that. It's fun playing, and uh, it'll be fun. Uh, obviously, I think playing with three legends like that, from from my standpoint, I'm going to really enjoy being around those guys. Um, you know, they're great. They're they were great uh, at one time, and they're in uh, what they did as as a sport, and uh, it's going to be awesome. What's your training regimen been like, Chief? For this, are you playing every day, or at least trying to play every day? No, I never play every day. Like I don't, I don't play a whole that much. Twice a week, I play. You know, if I can get out there three times a week, I will. But uh, I got, you know, with kids and everything, it's busy. You're doing other stuff, so I don't. I would, you know, playing every day is out of the question. Coach, congratulations on getting Colton Pareko under contract and having that stability for you and your staff going forward. We appreciate you taking your time this morning, and we'll see you at camp once things get started. Yeah, thank you very much for having me on, and we'll see you soon. You bet. Take care. You too. Bye. That is the Chief, Craig Berube, joining us on 101 ESPN. Some great updates from Chief. Colton Pareko looking back, looking 100% healthy in the trading room, ready to go, and that Vladdy's in town, has been with the team, and seems like he is going to be ready to start camp. And Coach says, hey, I'm, he's on our roster right now, so yeah. I have to be prepared for him to start camp with the St. Louis Blues. That was Craig Berube coming up more. Blues discussion. Our Blues insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. And we head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, and our Blues Insider from The Athletic, Jeremy Rutherford, is standing by. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Good morning, Randy and Michelle. How are you guys doing? Everything's great here. Your reaction yesterday to the news that the Blues had signed Colton Pareko to an eight-year extension worth $52 million. 
Yeah, a little a little bit out of the blue there, and I talked to uh, Doug Armstrong last night. He kind of came together very, very, very quickly. I asked him how quickly he wouldn't say, but uh, very quickly. I mean, I sort of got the impression this was call up Colton Pareko. What do you think about eight years, $52 million? And he said, let's go for it. So um, not a long negotiation, obviously. You know, I think there's some risk. You guys have talked about it. Uh, with uh, the back injury and going eight years. But uh, in talking to Doug Armstrong last night, he said that uh, they talked to the medical staff and they feel really good about it. And as Craig Bruby just told you guys, uh, Pareko looks uh, healthy and ready to go. The one thing, you know, when you talk about these long-term contracts, and there's been uh, 11 of them, eight years around the NHL this summer, uh, there's a risk with all of them. I remember when we uh, when we, we go back to when the Blues signed Vladimir Tarasenko, and that was a, a long-term deal, and everybody said, wow, this is going to look great at the end of that. He's a 40-goal scorer, and you know now you're talking about uh, the inability to trade him because of his uh, salary hit and, and the shoulder surgeries. You look at Alexander Steen. He's a guy everybody looked at that five-year deal and said, no way he'll survive that, and he goes and he's a pivotal part of that Stanley Cup team at the end. So you never can tell, but on the surface, uh, this looks like a good deal for the Blues. JR, throughout the season before last, I said that I thought the Blues had to make a choice between Alex Petrangelo and Colton Pareko. They get Pareko for eight at a 6.5 AAV as opposed to uh, Petro with the no move and the 8.8 AAV. Petro is a better player than uh, than Colton Pareko. He has been at least to this point. Pareko, 27 years old. But to a two-parter, is this the culmination of that? And is Pareko a better value at 6.5 than Petro at 8.8? Yeah, a couple of good questions. Let me try to break it down here. First of all, I agree with you. I think Alex Petrangelo is the better player. He controls the ice. Uh, he's got more offensive ability. They've used him a ton on the power play over the years, and you saw what he was capable in the playoffs for the St. Louis Blues and also for uh, Vegas last year. Just absolutely uh, phenomenal. Also, I think you got to throw in you know, the factor of what were they negotiating, uh, St. Louis and uh, Alex Petrangelo. You know, could they have had him for $7.5 million per year earlier in that negotiation? You know, if it gets a no movement, perhaps. So, you know, it's a little unfair, uh, not directing uh, you, Randy, obviously, but, uh, you know, to compare 8.8, to the 6.5 because uh, at certain points during a negotiation, maybe you could have got Alex Trenzo a little bit cheaper. You know, but I do think that Pareko coming in at 6.5 is a great value, especially if he's healthy. If, if he can come in and they can maybe give him some power play time. And Chief just talked about, uh, you know, Pet- or, uh, Petrangelo perhaps having a little more offense than a guy like Pareko. Maybe Pareko's offense isn't there. Uh, I think it can be developed. I still think that he can be that type of guy. But the biggest thing is uh, what Colton Pareko gives you away from the puck. He can track anything down. He can break anything up. He's got that reach. He's got everything. Thing. I think for the money, uh, the Blues got a really good value here. And uh, I think you probably could have had a good value with Petrangelo as well. But this is the direction they decided to go. And, and I still think it's going to be a good direction. Jared, do you think the AAV number is favorable for the Blues or seems like a, what could be a good deal because of the back? How much do you think that back injury factored into these negotiations? 
Yeah, I think it, it did factor. You know, I will say this, that I talked to a couple people yesterday and they said, hey, look, Colton Preco is just a guy who's not trying to, to break the bank. I mean, you know, the difference to Colton Preco between $52 million and maybe another $10 million if, if he would have went to unrestricted free agency next year, uh, you know, total-wise on the contract value, probably not a big deal to him. He just wants to play hockey. And, and you can tell with, you know, I mentioned uh, how quickly the negotiations went. But I do think if you're Colton Preco and his agent, you say, hey, look, we could get two weeks into the season, the back flares up, and maybe there's no interest. Certainly there's not going to be an eight-year term interest. You know, let's get this done now. Let's not take any chances. The 6.5 is fair, um, and, and let's get the deal done. And now both sides are happy. The Blues got a good AAV, and Colton Preco knows he's got some security for years to come. I am intrigued by the number of contracts. Now you've got three really long-term big-money contracts for defensemen. Most teams don't have that sort of long-term commitment to three guys. I wonder how ultimately this will play out. Yeah, it's the biggest, best point uh, you could make in this conversation is the fact that the Blues now have their three top defensemen, and you're talking about Falk, uh, Krug, and Pareko, at $19.5 million AAV starting next year, a little bit less this year because Pareko still be in the final year of that deal with a 5.5 AAV. Randy, you look around the league, I mean, you got Carlson and Dowdy making – you know, ten, eleven, twelve million dollars, and uh, you know, still good players. But you know, if you can get three guys who can play, then uh, certainly a better situation for the St. Louis Blues. Of course, the the trade-off is the term, and I realize Carlson Dowdy; those guys get term too, uh, but. The Blues are going to have to deal with a lot of these contracts on the backside. And uh, you look at uh, Falk, Krug, now Pareko, these guys are going to be 34, 35, 36 at the end of those deals. So it's nice to see them 28, 29, and you get three of them for $19.5 million. But we've got a few years before you could be experiencing uh, you know, the backside of those deals, and, and it might not look as good. JR, you heard Blues head coach Craig Bruby on with us last sec- segment, and we asked him about Vladimir Tarasenko, and he said that uh, as far as he con- is concerned, Vladdy's on this team, he's in town, and they're getting ready to start training camp. Do you think that Doug Armstrong is out there still looking for a dance partner as far as moving Vladdy, or do you think that we can expect that he's going to be on this team? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was interested in Craig Ruby's response uh, to your question. Um, I think that that's almost what he has to say at this point, especially as a coach. They're so focused on, on you know what's ahead of them and who they have on the roster. Rarely do they talk about situations where you know uh, somebody might not be around a trade, so on and so forth. So I think uh, he's doing it the right way. He's focused on uh, Vladimir Tarasenko being on the roster, uh, and Vladdy is skating with the team out at Centene and preparing like it. Um, however, yes, Doug Armstrong. Uh, continues to, I don't say that he's picking up the phone and making phone calls every day. I think teams around the league know what the situation is, and if they want to pull something off, they know where they can reach Doug Armstrong. So I still think the possibility exists, a good possibility that he could be traded before the start of the season, especially with uh, what the Blues need to do contractually with a couple guys like a Robert Thomas, perhaps a Tyler Bozak. Uh, But if Doug Armstrong, I've said this since day one, can't get a deal done, then Tarasenko will be there on the first day of camp. And JR, the Islanders now down to zero projected cap space, according to Cap Friendly. The, the Hurricanes down to zero uh, projected cap space. So the number of teams that could possibly take on that contract is really limited now. And some of those teams 
wouldn't have a good reason to pick him up because they aren't going to be good enough for him to make an impact for them. Yeah, and a couple of teams that you just uh, mentioned, they have uh, signed some forwards who I think uh, can fill some holes that maybe Tarasenko could have uh, filled. Uh, you know, we don't know the situation in, in Carolina unless something's developed this morning. I haven't seen on uh, Kakanemi uh, whether uh, they're going to uh, get him from Montreal. And then the situation with the New York Islanders, always tough to read. You saw yesterday, guys, that uh, Lou Lamorello announced four contracts, and he's got more like Zach Parisi that agreed to in principle, uh, but have not been announced yet. So it's, it's tough to know their cap situation. The one thing I will say is that Perhaps those teams still could be involved, if not now, later in the season. You know, it just takes moving some money, whether it's to the Blues or elsewhere, to create the space. So I wouldn't necessarily rule all them out completely, but you're right. A lot of that cap space has been taken up. Some of those roster spots been filled, and it looks on the surface a little less likely that they're a suitor for Vladimir Tarasenko. Chair, one of the many tentacles of the Vladimir Tarasenko situation was us wondering how his teammates might react to the news that they've been reading in the offseason. Do, do you think it gives us any insight as to how the team might be dealing with it, the fact that he's already here skating with his teammates? Well, I, I think that uh, if they have a committed Tarasenko, a guy who's willing to put this summer in the headlines past him and shows up and plays hockey, they're going to be happy. The one thing that I haven't been all that worried or concerned about in reporting about the Tarasenko you know, possibly being in camp and still being on the team is the reaction of his teammates. You know, this is definitely a different scenario than you're used to seeing around the league. Maybe you got a guy who's upset with his ice time or a guy who's upset with his role, but this is a situation where he asked for a trade and there was a lot of criticism involved. And so you do wonder about the, the team reaction, I think a little bit more in this case, but I, I do just being around these guys for, for years, you do uh, get the impression they're all pros. They've all been through things like this. And, you know, Vladdy's been a teammate of their year, their, theirs for years. And I don't think there's anything, you know, Vladdy coming to camp that's going to surprise him. They know who he is. They know the type of player he is. And they're just going to wait this out like everybody else is. But in the meantime, uh, I think they're going to be the best teammates they can be. JR, one last thing, because people are asking us this question. If indeed Vladimir Tarasenko starts camp and would start the season with the Blues, how do they handle a Robert Thomas situation where he's, as you've reported, looking for $2.8 million and the Blues don't have that much cap space available? Yeah, so they have uh, about 2.2 if you take uh, one of the contracts off uh, of the roster there, the Steven Santini being the eighth defenseman. So you're a little closer to what uh, Robert Thomas wants to make. But I think the big thing is, and I'll have that piece on Oscar Sundquist coming out uh, soon, uh, is that he's going to start the season on the injury list, and that's $2.75 million that, uh, that will be freed up at the start of the year. So at some point, they're going to have to cross that bridge. Uh, you're right, Randy, if they don't have the Tarasenko situation figured out. But I think at least from the get-go, uh, the start of camp, if they're able to put Sunquist on that injury list, they should be okay. JR, you always provide great information. Thanks so much for the time this morning. We do appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Yep, thanks, guys. See you later. Jeremy Rutherford with us on 101 ESPN. Between JR and Craig Berube, I think we got all the information, and and, uh, we looked at all of this through every angle we possibly could.
We did, and we thank both of those for talking Blues hockey with us here on your home of the Blues, 101 ESPN. Hey, don't forget to get signed up to play in this year's Fast Lane Pick'em Challenge at 101ESPN.com. You can make your football picks each week and see if you can defeat the Fast Lane and the dudes from the Riz Show. And, of course, the Fast Lane also features Matt Holiday. This week, the uh, or the weekly top scorer will receive a $50 gift card to Shooks and a Bud Light prize pack of football swag. The Fast Lane and the Riz Show throwing down all football season in the Pick'em Challenge. Get signed up to play now at 101ESPN.com, courtesy of Bud Light and Schnooks Rewards. Coming up, did the Cardinals mess up with Colton Wong? That's coming your way with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. in St. Louis. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler, Carriker and Smallman. And we're going to get to the Colton Wong situation in just a moment, but we do want to provide you the opportunity to head on over to the Ascension Charity Classic, and we have tickets for you for the 314 Club at the Ascension Charity Classic. They're pretty awesome. A pair of tickets for that. And all you need to do is send in a text to 65780 and answer this question. And it'll be texture number 14. Okay, texture number 14. Here's the question. What St. Louisan is second on the all-time Champions Tour money list. What St. Louisan is second all-time on the Champions Tour money list, and we'll take texture number 14. All we need is your email address, and the tickets will be emailed to you. Michelle, a really interesting piece by Will Salmon at The Athletic about Colton Wong. After he signed with the Brewers last offseason, he said, and this is a quote that he gave to Will Salmon, he said, it was almost like, okay, I tried to do everything that, Car- that the Cardinals told me to do, how they wanted me to play this game, and still it wasn't good enough. So heading into free agency and signing with a new team, I was like, that's it. I'm going to do what I want to do, play the game how I want to play, and how I know that I can be successful if everything goes right. So he basically disavowed everything the Cardinals had tried to teach him, came up with a new game, and he's having arguably his best season. The best offensive Mm-hmm. Uh, season of his career, actually. And gosh, this was such an interesting piece. And I really appreciate Colton Wong being so transparent about the fact that once he left the Cardinals, he wanted to become more of the player that he wanted to be as opposed to what they were instructing him to be and how he rewired his approach. And as it says in the piece, bet on himself. But Randy, there was one quote that really popped out to me. And if you haven't read this piece at The Athletic, you really need to if you're a Cardinal fan. But what Colton Wong said, he said about the Cardinals approach, that, that the approach that they wanted him to take. He said, what I was doing was putting myself in a situation to not have success. And yeah. we've talked a lot about the Cardinals offensive approach and the high level curriculum, as John Moselak put it, that they are trying to implement with their team from an offensive standpoint. And I I wonder if that's not working for everybody and if trying to implement this approach is not paying dividends for them and they should maybe scale it back a little bit and allow these players to do what's comfortable for them and, and realize that maybe everything doesn't work for every player. There's no doubt that that is the case. But there's also no doubt that 
the Cardinals' approach with Colton Wong was a reaction to him spending the first four years of his career stepping to the plate and swinging as hard as he could and having to be sent down on multiple occasions before Jeff Albert was ever their hitting coach and not becoming the player that they thought he could be. What he actually became in St. Louis with the on bases of 361 and 350 in his last couple of years here, and by the way, his on base this year is 342, lower than his last two years in St. Louis. The Cardinals wanted him to become a leadoff hitter that got on base. They didn't care about slugging. And so that's why they said, we want you to take walks and we want you to get on base. He is a much better slugger now than he was ever with the Cardinals. A 455 uh, slugging percentage. His best with the Cardinals was 423 two years ago. So from that perspective, he is better. But Again, I go back to this being a product of him having on base percentages of 292 and 321 and 327 and the Cardinals wanting their leadoff hitter to get on base more than that. Yeah, they were essentially saying we need you to work the counts yeah. and just get on base whatever way you can. And Colton Wong was thinking, well, why am I trying to do that when I'm going 0-2 every time I'm at bat and giving these guys a free at bat, giving away pitches, and I'm putting myself into a hole. And so he expressed that to the Brewers. Craig Council said in, in this piece that he encouraged Colton Wong to be himself. Their hitting coach, Andy Haynes, helped uh, shift Colton Wong's mindset and say, say that he doesn't have to force walk. You can be aggressive early when you're in the leadoff spot, and it's it's paying dividends for Colton Wong. And we talk about the best managers and coaches maximizing the talents of the people that they have. And one way to maximize the talents of the people that you have is to make sure that they're comfortable with what they're doing. Uh, we get asked every week when we have a meeting with our boss, is there anything we can do for you? Uh, they want us us to be as productive as our management here at Hubbard Radio wants us to be as productive as we can possibly be. They want to make sure that Emily Butcher and Randy Carricker and Michelle Smallman are comfortable in the job that they're doing. I wonder if Jeff Albert, and I believe this is a reaction mostly to Jeff Albert, I wonder if he or Mike Schilt ever went to Colton Wong and said, okay, this is what we want you to do. Are you comfortable with this? Because clearly he wasn't. Right. Clearly, it was not something that he felt was him being the best player that he could be or the approach that was best for him. That maximized his talents, right? Exactly. Well, even little things mechanically that he was talking about, about how he had the leg kick when he would hit and how he tried to eliminate that when he was with the Cardinals. And then once the Cardinals declined his option, he picked up the leg kick again and he realized that that being compact is part of the explosion when he hits and that working that back in, getting the rhythm that he was comfortable with is something that was able to contribute to the success that he's having. I think, and Mark McGuire has told us this, and to me, Mark McGuire is the best hitting coach the Cardinals have had in the last couple of decades. And Mike Shannon always said this, the worst thing that you can do when you go to the plate is think. Mm-hmm. And to me, as I read this article, that's what I take out of it, is that Colton Wong was in a situation where he got to the plate and he was thinking. And when you're thinking, you can't use your national, natural athletic gifts to react. And also, these are 
players who have been unbelievable athletes their entire life and who've been through multiple systems of baseball and who do have that natural skill set. And you need to do things to enhance that, not counteract that by making them think when they're in the box. And I know that there's a place for numbers in the game and there's a place for all of that. And you could be looking at the numbers per player, per team collectively and think if we can just shift a couple things, we're going to have more success. But in regards to Colton Wong, it does not seem like the approach the Cardinals were taking with him was the right one. I wonder if the Cardinals take this article and then listen to what Tommy Edmond said about changing his approach and listen to what Paul DeYoung said about having to use Ryan Ludwig and listen to Jim Edmonds on the broadcast talking about texting different players all the time. I wonder if they take that all together and say, it seems like our players don't really want to listen to our hitting coach right now. I don't know that the Cardinals would take that approach or if they would be hardened with their high-level curriculum because they did have a stretch where they scored four or more runs in a game, 12 games in a row. I wonder how the Cardinals react to essentially the outward, I won't say criticism, but revelation that players are listening to other people or not wanting to do what their hitting coach says. I wonder if the, that will have any effect on the way the Cardinals treat their offseason. Well, I think it should because it's not an isolated incident. This is not just Colton Wong having left the Cardinals, having success and wanting to to throw a little shade. This is him having actual concrete examples of things the Cardinals were instructing him to do that weren't benefiting him. You have players, as you mentioned, currently on the team that have said certain things about maybe – the the preparation not being there or the in-game adjustments not being there and I think if you're the Cardinals and you really do look at 2022 as a year that you want to go for not only do you need to look at your talent but you need to wonder are the things we're having the talent doing stopping them from being the best players that they can be it's like oh, okay I'm going to go to the gym two hours a day but I'm also going to eat a Big Mac you know what I mean you mm-hmm. can't it's like all of the work that you're doing acquiring acquiring players, it's counteractive mm-hmm. if you're doing things to not have them excel in the ways that they need to. That's not the way it works, the Big Mac and the workout? Listen, doesn't... we're not trying to play for the tie. If you're trying to play for the tie, that's fine. But you know what? We're looking at a 500 baseball team. They are playing for the tie right yeah. now, so they need to not do that. But one thing that really popped out to me, too, in addition to the quote of Colton Wong saying he wasn't putting in himself, himself in a situation to have success, is that we heard him say that Craig Council encourage Colton Wong to be himself. Mm -hmm. And that's something I I do wonder about sometimes, whether it's the offensive approach or you're a Cardinal, this is the Cardinal way, which is not something that the Cardinals preach, but are the Cardinals really fostering an environment where these players can be the best individual players that they can be that also contribute to team success? Because we see a lot of players that leave St. Louis that, that start doing things a little differently and they have success elsewhere. And I would just take a hard look internally if I'm the Cardinals because maybe they don't even realize that this is something that they're doing. Maybe it's just kind of second nature and... I I just think if you encourage each player with their individual personalities and their individual skill sets to maximize their performance in ways that benefit them, you're it's 
It's just the way you manage people, period. The, whether you're the Cardinals or whether you're 101 ESPN or whether you're the bank across the street. The personalities of players have changed. And baseball is fostering that thought process by having the promos that say, let the kids play. Right. And even Tony La Russa, as old school and grizzled as there is, is willing to let a Tim Anderson have as much fun as he can possibly have. But when you're looking around baseball and seeing the Tatises and the Guerreros of the world and the fun that they're having, and then you have Colton Wong uh, saying essentially that they came to him and said, "Hey, be yourself." And I don't, I don't think the Cardinals are necessarily suppressing that personality, but they aren't encouraging it either. It might not even, like I said, it might not even be yeah. intentional, right? But if Colton Wong leaves and is encouraged to be himself and then has the staff around him supporting that and helping him find things that he's comfortable with, I do wonder, is Tommy Edmond currently getting the, the help that he needs, the support he needs yeah. to be the best Tommy Edmond? Harrison Bader, same deal. Dylan Carlson, if if these guys are going to be your future, you need to figure out ways to help them be the best versions yeah. of themselves. And obviously the Cardinals want them to have success. Yeah. Um, but I do think you need to kind of really evaluate the approach that you've had and the way that you've been doing things and wonder if it's the best thing for your players. Check out the piece at The Athletic by Will Salmon. That is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. And we have your chance to win a four-pack of tickets to next Tuesday's Budweiser Bash for the Cards and Dodgers. It's September 7th, and it features an exclusive Lee Smith bobblehead. You must be 21 and over. Tickets courtesy of Budweiser and 101 ESPN. You can get all the details for next Tuesday night's Budweiser Bash at cardinals.com slash promotions. But We've got a pair of tickets, two pairs of tickets. And so we're going to take texters 20 and 30. And if you've been listening, you know what Greg Amzinger was most (laughs) concerned about when he was walking out of his house and it was flooded. He lives in New Jersey and they're suffering the residual uh, after effects of Hurricane Ida. So what was Greg most concerned about as he walked out of his house and there being a lot of water in his driveway. If you send us a text with that answer, you have a chance to win tickets to the Budweiser Bash Cards and Dodgers, and we're giving away two four-packs right now. Next up, we're going to talk to Mizzou offensive lineman Case Cook as the Tigers get ready to take on Central Michigan. The Tigers number 59 is next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Carriker and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. time for you're killing me small we talked a lot yesterday about the patriots randy choosing mac jones they parted ways with cam newton yesterday he is back out on the free agent market after his release from new england and we were wondering in the immediacy of this what could have caused this was it cam newton's vaccination status was it just that they thought mac jones was the better player and wanted to give cam the opportunity to go elsewhere maybe he didn't handle the news well we were waiting to find out some concrete evidence as to why the patriots went this route and here's mike reese from espn he was on with key Sean, Jay Will, and Zubin on KJZ yesterday, and he illustrates why Cam Newton was released. The first factor is, I would say, you want to give Mac the chance to grow into the role without looking over his shoulder and seeing a former NFL MVP with a big personality. And I think there's also some clarity and message from Bill Belichick. I don't think he wanted to get into a situation and maybe to use a comparison like the Dolphins last year where they had Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua, and it was Ryan first 
first, and then it was Tua, then it was back to Ryan, then it was Tua. I feel like he wanted to make the decision and just have it be clear and be like, this is what we're doing. There's not going to be any of that other stuff. And so I think those are a couple things. And then the other thing I would say... You have to mention the COVID stuff because I, I do feel like last week was an important moment in this competition. When Cam wasn't around the team for five days, three practices, it gave Mac a chance to run the team and it gave Bill Belichick a chance to see how players would respond to him. It was almost like a trial run. So yesterday, Bill Belichick was asked directly if Cam Newton's vaccination status was a factor in the team's decision to release him. And he said, no, look, you guys keep talking about that. So he dismissed that notion. But I do think, to Mike Reese's point, that when Cam Newton is unavailable for to get those reps and Mac Jones is out there showing you just yet again what he's able to do, it did open the door that much further for Mac Jones. And... Belichick, without Newton around, got a chance to see how the teammates reacted to Mac Jones being at the helm of the offense. When you have five practices over three days, or three practices over five days, but you get a chance to see how players are reacting to the new guy in the in the building, and it's not just players, it's assistant coaches, it's staff mm-hmm. members. How are people reacting to Mac Jones being the guy in the building with Newton not there? Belichick got a chance to observe that, and that had to have an effect. Now, that particular situation is what I would guess had an effect. Not that he's worried about uh, another event with Cam Newton, but how does Mac Jones react to being the leader of the organization? And as has been mentioned many times, I'm sure Bill Belichick has had very thorough conversations with Nick Saban about Mac Jones and about his leadership capabilities and his skill set. So he he had that information. He drafted him. He saw it play out in camp. And if this is your guy, I respect him for going for it. I really do. Especially at 69 years old, because rookie quarterbacks are rookie quarterbacks after all. And the point that Mike Reese made about not having a situation with a, a Tua Fitzpatrick situation, that's really a valid point, too. It is, because the safer thing would be to start Cam and bring Mac Jones along. But mm-hmm. I, I think it's it's indicative of Bill Belichick that he wants to go for it, that he really believes that Mac Jones is going to be the future and put them yep. in the b- best position to win right now. And so he didn't want to have to deal with any of the other back and forth. Right. You're killing me, Smalls. Well, a lot of people had a lot of reaction to the Cam Newton news yesterday, including former uh, Patriots cornerback Asante Samuel, Randy. He tweeted... So first, Lou Riddick tweeted, Bill does what Bill does. Right or wrong, the man is cold-blooded and will do what he thinks he has to do, period. Hashtag Patriots. So Asante Samuel quote tweets Louis Riddick's tweet and says, cold-blooded is an understatement, but without Brady, he's just another coach, in my opinion. He went on first take and further explained his reasoning for this, and he says it is what it is about Belichick. He hasn't shown that he's a great coach to me because he had the greatest player of all time. In my head, this is a, competi- a competition between Tom, Tom Brady and Belichick. Tom Brady has already shown that he can win wherever he goes through adversity, through a pandemic, getting kicked off fields, bar- barely having any practice. I didn't expect him to win the Super Bowl, and he won the Super Bowl. Now what I'm saying is anyone can coach Tom and win a Super Bowl. Now Belichick will have to show, in my eyes, that in order to be great, you have to show you can do it without Brady. He's not wrong. He's not, and I wonder if that is weighing on Bill Belichick at all. I... I- the urgency to get Mac Jones in there and to not start Cam Newton. I wonder if that's 
even in the deepest corners of his mind, if that's something that Bill Belichick is thinking about. I don't think that he's worried about his legacy or winning without Brady, but clearly, just like Bill Parcells never run one without Belichick, you look at uh, Belichick's record with Tom Brady as his starting quarterback and without, it's dramatic. He's got a losing record without Tom Brady as his starting quarterback. So I, I would think that that's at least something that he's aware of, not probably thinking about it for the future, but something that he would be aware of. You're killing me, Smalls. Of course, we have to talk about our Dolphins, Randy. So we knew that Brian Flores, the head coach of the Dolphins, had an internal meeting with his players and his staff, and he said Tua Tungavailoa is our guy, directly addressing the Deshaun Watson rumors, the rumors that there might be intrigue from the Dolphins about trying to acquire him. And Tua was asked about that support from his head coach after camp yesterday, and he says, I think it means a lot coming from the head coach. The support that I have from him and from the team, it means a lot. But for me, I'm just focused literally on trying to get our guys ready for next week good for him and good for brian flores because i believe that he put the pressure on stephen ross the owner too when he tells the team and tells the media tua is our guy and says i'm only worried about guys on the dolphins if there was interest on the part of the owner to bring deshaun watson into town it's not that it's difficult for stephen ross but it's a little bit more uncomfortable if People know now that if they get Watson, it's because of him mm-hmm. and not Brian Flores. For sure. Or at least Brian Flores has created that illusion. Yeah. <laughs> go get him, B-Flow. That's right. And go get him, too. I like that he's only focused on Mac Jones and the Patriots. Week one, mm-hmm. Sunday, September 12th, our first game. We are on to a New England. We're on to New England because it is at Foxborough. But that's a game that we would be locked into anyway because it's our Dolphins. But wouldn't it be just an... No disrespect to Mac Jones, but I know, Randy, you're not a Patriots guy. No. Wouldn't it be great if Mac Jones was the heir apparent and he goes out there and doesn't have a great first game? Our Dolphins absolutely stomp the Patriots yeah. at home in Mac Jones' first game. There's, there's a reason that Mac Jones couldn't beat out Tua at Alabama. That's right. It is. It's a former Alabama showdown. Yeah. So. My money's on Tua. It is. Mine, too. You're killing me, Smalls. And finally, Randy, some news coming out of the NBA. So the Brooklyn Nets, the New York Knicks, and the Golden State Warriors have announced that their players who haven't received a COVID-19 vaccine, they won't be allowed to play in their home arenas without an exemption. This is uh, according to The Athletic. So local regulations in New York and San Francisco bar unvaccinated players from even entering uh, the Barclays Center, Madison Square Garden, and the Chase Center without an approved medical or religious exemption. But this is interesting. Visiting players who aren't vaccinated, however, will be allowed to play per the report. So I don't really know why visiting players aren't facing the same standards as home players. But if you play for the Knicks, the Nets or the Warriors, it looks like you're going to have to be vaccinated in order to play at home this season. Seems like if you have a rule in place, it should apply to everybody. Right. If you're asking people to come into this building and that's the standard for your players, it seems like it should be universal. Right. Because your players or your fans are susceptible to contracting the virus because of somebody from out of town bringing it in maybe even more susceptible so i guess those players if they're going to play home games they they've got to get vaccinated well and coaches and team and arena staff who interact with players and referees are reportedly required to be vaccinated and the nets also announced in august that staff and fans of 12 years or older entering the arena must show proof of vaccination Hmm. so 
basically everyone else that's entering the arena yeah. <laughs> needs to be vaccinated or show proof of vaccination. So I wonder how long that might stand for, for opposing players. To me, you should just have, if you're going to make the rule, make it across the board. Make it for everybody so that everybody's on the same page. I, I don't get the point, and I, I totally get the freedom of not wanting or getting wanting to or getting a shot but what's the point of those requirements to me if you get vaccinated because as has been noted and we're seeing from hospitalizations and deaths that have occurred vaccinated people aren't getting sick and getting hospitalized so if you don't want to get a shot you're risking your own health and the people around you if they don't get shots so what does it matter if you're vaccinated, you're going to be okay. And if you're not vaccinated, you're taking the risk. So why put rules in place? Well, and if you're putting all of these rules in place per where they live yeah. and regulations and all of that, all it's going to take is one incident of somebody coming in and getting really sick for them to change everything. Right. But if we're seeing teams, what is it, September, it's on September 2nd, we're seeing a couple teams already make these declarations. I wonder if by the time we start the season, if every team yeah. isn't under the same umbrella. Makes sense. If you're going to be in a building, I, and I'm actually kind of surprised that the Enterprise Center and the Blues, to my knowledge, they don't have that requirement yet that you have to show proof of vaccination if you're entering the building. But I would think most businesses, to protect themselves and the well-being of those around them, will probably put a rule like that in place. Thanks, Michelle. You're welcome. And uh, thanks for tuning in to You're Killing Me Smalls. We're going to cross things over to BK and Ferrario. Danny Mac out today. They're coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN. <laughs> All right, here's what I want you to do. Take a week off before the fast lane goes to Chicago because if you're going to hang with the fast lane in Chi-Town, you're going to be well, you're going to need to be well rested. It's at the end of September. It's a special road trip to Wrigleyville and you could win your way in on the fun courtesy of Walter Knoll Florist. Just visit any of Walter Knoll's four area locations now through next Sunday, September 12th. Find the QR code in the store and get entered to win a free weekend in the Windy City with the Fastlane, including a two-night hotel stay, an invitation to an all-inclusive happy hour party with Fastlane in Chicago, $100 gas card, and more. Get all the details on this special Chicago trip giveaway with Walter Knoll and the Fastlane now at 101ESPN.com. Okay. No, Randy, really quickly, rookie mistake. What's you don't it? take off the week before. You take off the, the week, week after, after to recover. True. Yeah, I was yeah. Right, I don't need the prep yeah. ahead of time. I need the we recovery need after. recovery days. Frankly, I yep. couldn't hang with those guys in general. Okay, so, so that's a question. Alex Ferrario here, BKM Ferrario coming up. Of the four fast lane guys, you've got Anthony, you've got Jamie, you've got BT, you've got Brad Barnes. Which one would be out the latest, oh, get easy. the drunkest that you couldn't hang with? Easy. This is yeah, no this is, this is no question. It's yeah. Jamie Rivers. It's always Jamie it's Rivers. Just, hockey guys are a different breed, Randy. They can hang longer, they can drink more, and <laughs> it's like they have a wooden leg, you know? And Jamie Rivers and Jamie is a little mischievous, so I could see him being the one that's he's the straw that stirs the drink. He's the one that's gonna say, No, come on, one more place. Let's go. We can all go. I'm not gonna disagree, but Brad Barnes is a sneaky partier. 
I think Brad Barnes would be a 1B. Yeah. Like as Tony yep. LaRusso would say, I'd say tied for first. Tied for first. <laughs> I give yeah. the advantage to Jamie Rivers, but I got a really suspicion with you, RK. Barnes could probably hang there for a while. Yeah. What about BT? You know BT can. Uh, BT back in the day really could. Uh, you know what, BT? Listen, BT's got a million jobs. He's got kids yeah. at home. He's he's always off to something. So this is yeah. his time to go out and tie one on and have a good time. Well, and the thing, Anthony, that, too, same deal with Anthony. Although when you're dads and you're on a trip, for me, if that was me, I'd be like, well, I'll just go back yeah. to the hotel and sleep at eight you're o'clock. Like, I'll have right. four beers. Yeah, and we're, <laughs> we're good. The thing about BT, and I don't, I, I would assume that Jamie does this too. Brad Thompson knows where all the places that are open till six in the morning are. Mm, mm-hmm. And that makes a big, in Chicago, there are a few of those places, but you need to find them and you need to, need to know where they are. With BT, you don't need to really know because you can just follow him. He'll say, there's this place. What you do is open this is against the street and you walk down the steps and it's unbelievable. And if you go there at five in the morning, it's, it's open. So what you need to do on from Saturday Night Live. Yeah. <laughs> what you need to do is open up this manhole cover on the street and you go down this ladder and right to the left, there's this bar that's open until four o'clock in the morning. He what? literally showed me this place. Okay. So if we're power ranking the guys that we think are going to be out the latest and partying the hardest on the fast lane, what's our official crossover power rankings? I think... Jamie, Brad Barnes. I'm going to go BT third, and Anthony gets in the earliest. Because he's the driver of the show, and he's driver the most of the responsible. show, responsible the kid on the way with yep. the, it'll be his third. Yeah, I, I think it's just a responsibility thing with yeah, him. Yeah, he is responsible for yeah. sure. But maybe he's same thing that I was saying with BT. He's thinking, I have a lot to do. I have a lot on my plate. I'm out with my boys. Now is my time to shine. I can get sleep later. Yeah, he might be thinking that, but uh, I think Krista might be texting saying, hey, what's going on? Or maybe his body won't allow it. (laughs) (laughs) His body's like, no, man, you're going on at 11. Exhaustion sets in at some point yeah, where you can't handle it. Yeah, Alex, what do we have coming up on BK and Ferrario? So a lot of Colton Pareko conversation to get into, obviously, with this new contract extension. Of course, the Cardinals uh, splitting the series with the Reds there yesterday in that doubleheader. We're going to talk with Anthony Cantrovince from MLB.com. And we got our guy Ben Heisler of Betsided to get a little college football and NFL prep ready for you. Looking forward to that. Thank you, sir. Thank you, boys. That is Alex Ferrario, boys and Boys, girls. I meant both, yeah. and then it came out, boys. I don't appreciate <laughs> what happened there. It's okay. Uh, we forgive you. Great job today <laughs> by <laughs> Emily Butcher, our producer engineer. Thank you. Thank you. And Michelle, this has been fun. We'll do it again on a Friday. It will, Randy. I'll see you tomorrow. For all of us, thanks for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show. Till tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. That was the Character and Smallman podcast on 101 ESPN.